You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, Joshua 2. Everyone needs a Bible, Bible app, whatever you need, uh, whatever you got. We want to look down at God's Word together. As we study Joshua 2, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is why is Joshua 2 there? Why did the author, ultimately the Lord God, why did he think it was important to have Joshua 2 there? If you look at the flow of Joshua, Joshua 1 ends by saying, hey, get ready, we're going to cross the Jordan. Chapter 3 says, we're going across the Jordan. But before he gets to chapter 3, he tells us, so it basically, as we look at the text, that things that happened before even chapter 1. As we're going to see, there's some spies who are sent out. Why does God want us to see the events of Joshua chapter 2? Well, the highlight of Joshua 2 is Rahab's redemption. Rahab's redemption. And as we look at that, we're going to be reminded of what really Genesis to Revelation are really all about, God's redemption. And Rahab highlights the fact that for God, no one is too far gone for him to save them. We're going to be reminded of what the road to redemption looks like. And I'm praying by the time we're done here, everyone will be able to say, that's the road I'm on. I'm on the road to redemption, and I praise God for that today. And I'm also praying that if you're here, if you're watching online, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. I'm praying that by the time we're done, you would understand what redemption is and that you too can experience what Rahab did and be saved by an awesome, powerful, merciful God. And so let us look at the text together. We're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to break it down. Joshua 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you. Who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out, and I do not know, I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, 
whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scar scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Four things we're going to see on the road to redemption. On the road to redemption, we need to see our just judgment. If you're going to be on the road to redemption, you need to see your just judgment. From a human point of view, the last person we would think would be on the road to redemption would be Rahab. To begin with, Rahab was a Gentile. Is that a big deal? Well, over 3,000 years ago, it was a very big deal. 2,000 years after Christ, we're like, what's the big deal? Well, what the big deal was, pre-Christ, was that you were outside of God's covenant. As we read in Ephesians 2.12, remember that you, Gentiles, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was the plight of Gentiles, without hope and without God in this world. God had made his covenant with the people of Israel. If you were a Gentile, you were outside that covenant. And so if you were to look around planet Earth, the Gentiles were the last people you thought would be saved. Secondly, Rahab lives in a land that God has ordained will be judged for their sin. Judgment is coming against this land. 
God had warned the people, or warned that these people would be judged hundreds of years earlier. When God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 15, 16, we read that there will be a time where God's grace will be over them, but then judgment will come. It says, and they shall come back here. This is Abraham's generation. They will come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, God will allow sin up to a point, but there will be a time of judgment. It's an important thing for all of us here to understand. You, 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 whatever you reap, you will sow. God will not be mocked. If you continue to rebel and sin against him, judgment will come, just as was, it was about to come against this land. Deuteronomy 9.4 says this, God speaking to the Israelites, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Listen, Israel, it's not because you're so great. It's not because you're righteous that I am driving this nation out before you. It is because of their wickedness, of their rebellion against me. And so God was bringing judgment against this land, just as God is going to bring judgment against every wicked person on this earth today. God is a just God and must punish wickedness. And now this was about to happen to the land that Rahab lived in. Not only was it going to happen in that land, but we see the city where she's from. It's Jericho. Jericho is so wicked that when it comes to judgment on this city, God says, destroy everything. Destroy it all. Knock it down. Every living thing shall be killed. That's how wicked this city was. And, and Joshua, as we're going to get to the end of the book, you, you'll see that, or sorry, end of jo- uh, Joshua 6, that he says, if anyone builds on this city again, they will be cursed. That's how bad the city was that Rahab was from. And guess what? Rahab's part of the problem. What's her profession? She's a prostitute. Interesting, as you go through the Bible, even as we're going to see in the book of Hebrews, she's still called Rahab the prostitute. As we've already read, she's got a mom, a dad, brothers, sisters. Apparently, she did not choose this line of work because of, out of desperation. It was for other reasons. She had chosen this line of work. Can God save someone in such a hopeless, helpless situation? That's Rahab. In a wicked, wicked nation, in a wicked city, doing a wicked job, being part of the wickedness herself. Can God save a person like that? Can you relate To Rahab, can you identify with her? 
My concern this morning would be that there are some here that would say, no, I can't. I, I can't relate to her. You know, that she, she was a wicked sinner, and, and, and she was a prostitute. Like, like, I've never been like her. And you think of her as a worse sinner than you. You become judgmental. I want to warn you this morning that you are more like a Pharisee than you are a Christ follower when you start thinking that way. That, that while her, her salvation was really special, mine, you know, I need a little bit of help, but, but, but you know, I'm a pretty good person. That, that thinking is devastating. Let me, let me think, help you think through three ways that this thinking is devastating. First, you're being judgmental when you start thinking this way. You think everyone else's sin is great and yours is small. When you think about how Christ thought about that, he was not okay with it. When he came against the Pharisees, he was ruthless against the Pharisees because they thought they didn't need a Savior. If a brother or sister falls into sin in the church, what ought to your reaction be? To sit there condescending, looking down on them, telling everybody else about their story? It's grievous to God when we do that. Do you understand that? Your reaction should be to come to that sister or brother and help them to get back up and point them to Jesus Christ. Your job is not to sit as judge. God, help us if anyone be that way. And if that God is bringing conviction in your heart right now, I would pray that you would repent of that if that is a heart that you have this morning. Think of Jesus, the woman caught in adultery. She's standing before you. And everyone's like, what are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? And finally he says this, he who is without sin, let them cast the first stone. And what's everyone do? They start wandering off because they finally see the wickedness of their own hearts rather than someone else's wickedness. Paul said it like this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You and I owe God a great debt for our forgiveness. May we never think of someone else's sin as greater than our own. When we view our sin as small and everyone else as great, it also destroys your evangelism. You're too busy worrying about unsaved people's sin and being in judgment of them rather than coming alongside them and understanding they are enslaved in their sin. There is only one thing that can change their pattern of life. There was only one thing that can change your pattern of life, and that is the glorious gospel. And so you need to think much of your sin and understand how great God's love was towards you. 
which is the third thing. When I have a low view of my sin, I love less. As Jesus reminded us. And so I pray this morning, when I ask you this question again, can you relate to Rahab? You'd say yes. Very much so. I was walking in rebellion against God. I did not deserve to be saved. I deserved judgment. But God saved me. And I'm praying that he will help me to save others and help, help me to come alongside my brothers and sisters in our pursuit of holiness. What does this woman Rahab know about God? Well, as I've already said, she didn't have the law. She didn't have the covenant. But she did have what we read about in Acts 17, 27. Paul in Athens, he said this, that they should seek God. That was the people, the people who do not have the law and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God is a God over creation. As we've seen in Romans chapter 1, every single person knows that there is a God based on what they see in creation, based on our consciences, we understand that there is a right and wrong. And God was using those things in Rahab's life. She had understood that judgment was coming against this city that she lived in, against the nation that she lived in, and that she needed to be made right with this powerful God. She had a right view of God. She understood that she too was a sinner who deserved judgment. If you are to be on the road of redemption this morning, then that is the beginning. You need to understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. If you believe that you are basically a good person, then you are not on the road to redemption. However, knowing that you are a sinner is not enough. On the road to redemption, we need to show our altered allegiance. Secondly, we need to show our altered allegiance. What did Rahab do as a result of her knowledge of God? She committed a treasonous act. Right? The first seven verses there, the spies come into the city. They're like, okay, uh, where do we go so that nobody notices that we're here. I know, let's go into this house, the prostitute, it's right against the wall, can give us a quick escape. There's a lot of riffraff there, so, so we should be able to just kind of lay low for the night. They came in the evening, let's just lay low for the night, and hopefully we can get some intel as to what's going on in this city, and then just slip out without anybody noticing. It didn't work. The plan didn't work, right? Somebody in that riffraff was like, these guys were spies, I know the king is going to reward me greatly if I go tell him. And so that person runs off, tells the king, listen, there's some people here spying out the land. Why are they spying out the land? Military reasons. They understand that. They've already heard the stories about what happened on the other side of the Jordan. And so the king does what a king does. He sends messengers to Rahab's house and says, hey, hey, I know you don't know this, but the people that are in your house... They're here to spy out the land. What, is she, what does he expect she will do? Oh, great. Here you go, king. Here are these people. 
But she doesn't. What does she do? She commits a treasonous act. She's no longer having allegiance to her people. She's no longer having allegiance to her city. She's putting her allegiance in, in God and in the people of Israel. And so when they get there, she's like, yeah, yeah, no, they were here for sure. But they're gone. They took off already. And if you hurry, I'm sure you can catch up to them. And so they take off. And they go what? Towards the Jordan. They all know where the, the people of Israel are. They, they've had their eyes on them. They know that there's just seven miles on the other side of the Jordan. They're seven miles on the other side, just 14 miles away right now. And so they pursue them, thinking they're going to catch them. But what? They're not. They're still there. They're still at the house. Underneath some flax, what the people of, um, the, people of the city would do, they take the they cut the flax and they put it up on the roofs and dry it. That's how that would work. And so it's up on the roof. And so that's not unnatural for that to happen. And she's hidden them in there. She's committed a treasonous act. She's like, I, I didn't even know where they're from. But she's swearing her allegiance to them, to the people of Israel. She's turned her back on her own people. Now, I don't know how many sermons you've listened to on Joshua chapter 2, but what normally happens at this point? She lied. What are we, what are we to do with this? Like, like, surely we should camp on what she did here in the lie. And so there's a lots of commentaries like, okay, the, it, it was the lesser of two evils. And then other people are saying, well, it, no, it was the, the greater good. And then other people are saying, no, it was just simply wrong. She lied. And if she would have not lied, God would have provided another way. If she just would have trusted God, then she wouldn't have had to sin by lying. And, and well, guess what? It's not the point of the text. It's not the point. And, and, and I love what Davis says here. It is tragic when people snag their pants on the nail of Rahab's lie. Quibble, quibbling endlessly about the matter and never get around to hearing Rahab's truth. She has turned her back on all that she's known. She's taking a tremendous risk in her, with her life at this point. If, she, if it's found out, she will be killed. But she's putting her trust in something different. This is the focus when you get to the New Testament. They don't look back and say, oh yeah, Rahab and that lie thing. No, this is what they talk about. Hebrews eleven thirty one. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient. Because why? She had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She turned her back on her old allegiances and she put her allegiance in with these spies. She told them all that was going on in her city. She protected them. She sent them out in a safe way. God using her to protect the spies and to give a great word. The spies are not like, they're there for hours, right? They come in in the evening before the gate is shut. And we find out what? Before they, anyone's even asleep yet, she's lowering them down from the window, but they've got all the information they have, they're ever going to need.
so it is for you and I. If you're on the road to redemption, you need to commit treason. Did you know that? You need to turn your back on this world. You need to not be devoted to the things of this world anymore, to your old value system, to to your old way of thinking. You turn your back fully on that. You do not have one leg in your allegiance to this world and one leg in allegiance to Christ. No, you're fully devoted to him no matter what the cost, just as Rahab did. James, he's talking about, can you have faith without works? He uses Abraham as an illustration. And then if you weren't, you're like, well, I don't know if I'm like Abraham. Then he uses what? He uses Rahab. We see this in James chapter 2, 24 to 26. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In other words, you can't just say you believe something and then have zero evidence in your life that you believe it. Verse 25, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And the question this morning is, uh, am I on the road to redemption? Do people see that I have a different allegiance in my life? Is that evident to everyone around me? That I no longer swear allegiance to the values of this world. I swear allegiance to the Lord God. If we're on the road to redemption, then it ought to look that way. Thirdly, on the road to redemption, we need to state our biblical beliefs. We need to state our biblical beliefs. What does Rahab believe about God? It's not just enough to, be, to have a belief system and fully devoted to that belief system. We know that the, the, the people of Islam, they, 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 they really believe what they believe. And they are much more devoted, sadly, much more devoted oftentimes to their religion than Christians are. But that faith will not save them. Why? Because you need to have an accurate view of who God is. And that is found in the Scriptures. So what did she believe about God? First, she believed that God had power over judgment. She believed in God's power over judgment. We see that in verses 8 through 10. I mean, 40 years later, they're still talking about how God parted the Red Sea. So much irony as you read Joshua chapter 2. You're like, these guys actually seem to have a more accurate view of God than the people of Israel. Right? They're like, man, this God is powerful. He, 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 He parts the sea. And we've already seen in recent history what he did with the people on the other side of the Jordan. They were quickly destroyed. And we believe that he's coming here. They're coming here now. And what are the results of that? People are fearful. They have no courage about what is about to happen. Rahab knows that judgment is nigh for her and for her nation 
She not only believes these things, but she also believes that believes in that the fact that God is God's power. She believes in God's power over creation. She believes in God's power over creation. Again, we need to understand a little bit about where Rahab's growing up. They had a God of the sea. They had a God of the land. They had a God of the sky. They had a, you know, you name it, they had a God for it. But her testimony about God is this, about the Lord God. She said in verse 11, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. In other words, there is no other God. He is the great, powerful God. And that is so true. There is only one God, the one who created you and I, and he alone is to be worshipped. He alone is to be served. Rahab believed this. And so she believed that he was a God of judgment. She believed that he was the creator. But thirdly, she believes in God's power over salvation. In verses 12 to 14, she asked for mercy. She asked that these men swear by the Lord that they would deal kindly with her, and not only her, but her whole father's house, for her brothers and sisters and their families. And the spies assure her that they will be faithful and loyal if she continues to be as well. Her life will be saved. Rahab had an accurate view of who God was and is. Not only that he was a powerful judge and God over all creation, but, that, but, the, but the hope that could be found in appealing to him for mercy. So it is today. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What's incredible when you consider this account of Rahab is she's saying, this is what I believe, but not only what I believe, but what everyone in our country believes. They all believed that God was bringing judgment. They all believed that God was powerful, but only Rahab calls out for mercy. And this morning, you could have a healthy fear of God. You can understand you are a sinner and that you deserve judgment, but you could be stuck there. You, you could have that knowledge right to the grave and never receive salvation. In my study of Revelation, as I've been going through that, here's the picture you see. There is no doubt in, to anyone on the earth at that time that there is a God. But they are not turning from their sin. And they are fearful from him, but they, and, they, and they're crying out for the rocks to fall on him, but they will not repent. This morning, I pray that that's not true of anyone here. It's a healthy warning for every one of us. I can have an accurate view of who God is and still be damned for all of eternity. I need to cry out for mercy from God and believe that Christ is the answer for my salvation, that he alone is the substitute, that he alone died for sinners like me, that no matter how much I have sinned, that he can save me. 
And though I don't deserve it, I believe he will say, well done, good and, ser- well, well done, good and faithful servant today. I was just talking with someone this last week about people who think that I got the knowledge and here's my plan. When I see the end of the road, I am going to cry out for mercy right at the end. But for now, I'm going to live my life as I want to live it. And he said he knew a guy. who That's what he said. I know it all. I, I, I went to church. I understand the way of salvation. And at the end, I will come to faith in him. Do you know what happened to that guy? He was traveling down the highway. He went to pass someone and didn't see someone coming. Head-on collision died instantly. He never had time to get right with God. Jesus, when he was on the earth, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do not think you can do this later. Be like Rahab. Call out for mercy when there's still time. Well, I pray you're all on the road to redemption. And the last thing we see here, the last thing we need to do is savor our magnificent mercy. Savior, savior, savor your magnificent mercy. The road to redemption is a glorious road. It's a glorious road. As you're on the road, first see the signs. See the signs. Our Lord God who created us knows that signs are important to us to remind us of our salvation. In this case, the spies have Rahab put a scarlet cord out her window. Put that scarlet cord out the window, and if it's there, you will be saved. Just as God had told the nation of Israel on the Passover, put blood over your doorposts, and if the blood is there, the angel of death will pass before you. As we get to Joshua 6, we'll see that she was saved. That, that, that by having that scarlet cord out there, she was saved. God gives you and I signs to remind us of our salvation today as well, doesn't he? Just a couple of weeks ago, we had baptisms. Praise God, we already have more applications, more baptisms coming. But as we are baptized, we're reminded of what Christ has done for us. That as we enter the water, that we have died with Christ to our old way of life and we've been raised to a new life in him. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And as we celebrate together again, we remember that Christ is our substitute. Every time we do that, we remember our hope is in Christ. He is our substitute. He has made a way that sinners like you and I can be saved. He has risen again. He has told us to continue to do this until he comes back. And he is coming back. And we're reminded of that every time we partake of the Lord's Supper together. We're reminded as we partake together that we are part of the body of Christ. These signs are for 
are good. Even as God gave a sign to the people of Israel at this point, he'd already, he'd already told them, listen, the land is yours. But what? He came alongside them and gave them this other reminder that, oh, by the way, everyone believes in this nation that we're about to win. God is so gracious. I, love, I, I just love hearing stories of how God takes his truth and presses it into our personal lives on a daily basis. He is so good to us, and he gives us these signs, but it's not it. That's not all. The road to redemption is a glorious road. As we walk, we see the salvation. We see the salvation. The sign points to the reality. Baptism and the Lord's Supper in themselves do not save. Only Jesus saves, just as the Lord who spared Rahab and her family. It was the Lord who did that, not the scarlet cord, right? The cord didn't save them. God saved them. Baptism doesn't save us. The Lord's Supper doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. And we see her saved in Joshua 6, 17. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live because she has hid the the messengers whom we sent. Her faith and kindness are rewarded. Joshua 6.23, So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. What was promised came to fruition, just as it will be for all who are on the road to redemption today. As we were going through the book of Romans, we're reminded again and again, God is, has saved us, he is saving us, and he will save us. One day, as we stand before him, we will, will we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. How incredible is that going to be? The road to redemption is a glorious road. As we walk it, see this security. Once again, as we look ahead, we see that Rahab was not only saved from destruction, but she became a part of the family of Israel. Joshua 6.25, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. She is now a part of the family of God, just as it is for all of who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And when you become a part of the family, no one can ever change that. As we just went through in Romans chapter 8, we're reminded that nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So see the security. The road to redemption is a glorious road. As we walk it, see the story See the story. Consider this woman Rahab who seemingly had no hope in this world and how her story radically changed. She went from having no hope in this world to be included in the ancestry of the Messiah. Matthew reminds us of that in Matthew 1, 5 and 6. And summoned the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz the father Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. She becomes a part of the ancestry of the Messiah. How incredible is that? And remember when we studied the book of Ruth? Did you see who Boaz's mom was? 
it was Rahab. And as he seen the example of what God could do in his mom's life, he became a part of the story of redemption for Ruth. What an incredible God. You and I are part of God's story. We have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. And he is using your story to draw others to himself. The road to redemption is a glorious road. As you walk it, see the standard. What I mean by that, see the example. See the trophy of God's grace on display. Rahab, this woman who centuries later is still known as Rahab the prostitute, is also now in the, writer's, the writer of Hebrews' Hall of Faith. He's, she's in the Hall of Faith. Hebrews eleven thirty one, as we read earlier, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Her life became an example to follow. A beacon for all to see what a loving, powerful God can do, taking a hopeless sinner who deserves judgment and, and, and turning her into an ancestor of King David and ultimately the Messiah. She becomes a reminder of what God's saving power can do over 3,000 years later. She reminds us that nobody is too far gone for God to save. And so this morning, the question is, are you on the road to redemption? If you're not this morning, I'm praying that you would see God's power to save that you would see that there is no sin too great that God cannot forgive, that there is no person out of the reach of his mighty hand, and that if you were to repent today, you too will be spared God's judgment and be welcomed into God's family. For you who are already on the road to redemption, savor his magnificent mercy towards you, and proclaim the glorious gospel wherever you go, believing in God's incredible power to serve, save. That coworker, that neighbor, that relative, God is more than able to save. Do not give up. Do not be discouraged. Believe in God's power to save them and continue to pray for them and be a witness to them day in and day out and be an example of what God's power can do to change a life believing that they too can be on the road to redemption. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we are so thankful for our time together this morning. God, we thank you that you are a God who saves. Lord, we can all relate to Rahab. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. It's what we all deserve, God. But God, thank you that you drew us to yourself just as you did Rahab, that you showed us who you were, that you have saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to rejoice in our salvation day in and day out. Help us to be in awe that, Lord, we are part of your story that you're writing. 
one that will someday have a triumphant conclusion when you come and make all things right. God, we cannot wait for that day. Lord, in the meantime, Lord, we want to see lost people saved. God, if there be anyone here today who is not on the road to redemption, God, would you convict of sin? Would you show them that judgment is theirs if they do not repent? And God, would you today help them to fall upon their knees and cry out for mercy, knowing that you are a merciful God? God, we pray for that today. God, use us for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.